Welcome to another Cold Fear Podcast. We are episode 11, I can't believe it, and I am your host, Aaron Mulkey. A few weeks ago, I went up to Bozeman, spent a couple of days up there, sat down with Dustin Diefendorfer. He is the founder of Mountain Tough. Also got to sit down with Conrad Anker, and I'll post that one later on. But uh, super psyched to share this conversation with you. Um, Mountain Tough has been uh, really part of my fitness life for quite a few years, and this podcast is not promoted. I mean, they're not paying me or anything like that. I really just love the Mountain Tough workouts. I love their app as well. There's really something for everybody in their app. And I'm all about people uh, getting fit and hitting their goals and, you know, pursuing their dreams. And I do think the Mountain Tough uh, app is really key. I do think, you know, if you want personal training, obviously Evoke Endurance is really good. And the Alpine Training Center, Connie, is awesome. Um, But if you're looking for something a little bit cheaper, um, the Mountain Tough app is really tough to beat if... uh, you're looking to get in shape, even if you don't have equipment, there's workouts for that. And I'm very thankful because uh, the Mountain Tough guys gave all of you listeners a code to get on their app for free for 30 days. So that code is Cold Fear, all caps. I'll repeat that again Cold Fear, all caps. And again, these guys aren't paying me or anything like that. I really just, I love their product. I love the people. They're very passionate about what they do. I've been into a lot of gyms. Uh, doing workouts, and I can tell you, there's when you're in there, it's just, I don't man, it's just energetic. <laughs> it just really is. I leave, I left Bozeman fully energized, uh, ready for my spring training, and uh, yeah, I just I'm psyched right now. So I hope you guys really enjoy this conversation. We we really talking about lot, we talking about life, we talk about hunting, we talk about climbing, and how those relate. And training and how important training is to everybody, no matter what age you are. Um, and there's just a lot of life talk we, we, we get into here. So, you know, don't get too hung up. We definitely talk about the app. Uh, we talk about how Mountain Tough actually came to be, which is a really great story. Um, yeah, that's motivational as well. So uh, really just have a, a really good podcast here. So thank you for listening. Again, if you like this, please share Please rate the podcast, and I am psyched to be sharing some more with you. And also, don't forget, we got some Cold Fear swag over on the website. Um, that helps kind of pay the bills, keep the lights on here at the Cold Fear Studios. So uh, I appreciate your support. I hope you're having a good summer. All right, let's go. All right, uh, welcome, Dustin, to the uh, Cold Fear podcast. Uh, I'm sitting here at the Mountain Tough headquarters in Bozeman, Montana. Um, pretty excited. Just got my butt handed to me in a little team workout. Uh, yeah, my hand strength actually did work well, but not cardio. So um, thanks for having me here. Uh, you want to kind of just introduce yourself? Yeah. So thanks for being here, Aaron. It's pretty awesome having you in that workout today. And I'm Dustin Diefenderfer, founder of Mountain Tough and it's been a it's been an amazing journey, and it's cool because you're in our brand new lab, so it's really exciting to have you visit and stop by. Yeah, this place is pretty awesome. It's uh, it's a workout like for somebody that enjoys working out gym wise, but also you know with the app that you guys have now. I mean, this is as good as it gets. 
It turned and it have its own recording studio. <laughs> <laughs> it still feels pretty surreal every day walking in. It's kind of crazy being in here. It's uh, it exceeded our expectations. Like the we planned it out two years ago, and so being able to walk in here real time now, it's it's pretty phenomenal. Oh yeah. Well, I know a lot of followers um, know that I, I do a lot of mountain tough workouts. Um, and Mountain Tough is really, well, it's really no longer a gym really anymore, right? It's more of everything that's online and the app that you guys have, which is pretty amazing, mm-hmm. mind-blowing. Um, maybe kind of talk a little bit about what the app is today and kind of how, how, that's, how that kind of evolved. Yeah. So <clears throat> Mountain Tough is a fully native app now. So just like Spotify or Uber were fully native on all app stores, so iPhone, Android, but it's also native on all the smart TV streaming platforms like Apple TV and Roku. And we spent a lot of time on that over the last couple of years. And it was it was a huge project, but it was one we'd been focused on for a long time because we started out as local training, but Early on in the first year of business, we knew that we wanted to get this training style out to the world. And so being a lab that produces and tests everything out of Bozeman, Montana, and then allowing the world to access that has always been one of our core ethos. But it took a long time from that idea to a full native app on your phone and I'm really glad how it turned out because there's a lot of different ways to get your content on an app. And especially as a trainer or a fitness professional, there's a lot of third parties that will host a lot of different trainers inside of a really nice app. And that is a great option, but we always knew we wanted our own standalone product so that we could control the brand and, what was being said and how it was being coached and it took a while to get there, but it's been a pretty huge milestone for us now. Yeah. I mean, it's grown a lot from the first time you and I connected Yeah, um, (laughs) where there wasn't an app, it was kind of a gym and then you guys were putting stuff out via your, your website. Yeah. And I remember even back then you're like, ah, the the goal is to get an app, but man, there's so much to get there. And then I felt like it all of a sudden, like, boom, the app came. Yeah. You know, it was pretty cool how quickly that it transitioned into an app. Yeah. It's been nuts. It's been really wild because we had, we had 10,000 mountain tough athletes training on our web technology pre-app and, now our goal is to help train 100,000 athletes by late 2025. Wow. And so the Mountain Tough community has just exploded. And I think a lot of that is due to the native app. I think a lot of that is like convenience, accessibility, having that logo on your phone or TV screen all the time so that it you can't really forget about it. You see it every day, scrolling past it, looking for other things on your phone. And just that that convenience factor alone has changed the game for us, but it also is a visibility factor. And so the app store, like just the Apple app store, has like a half a million, has a, a half 
a million people looking for a new app like every seven days. And so wow. the the new marketing channel that that allowed us to get into has really kind of changed the game compared to the old days when like they had to access our training off of mountaintough.com. Yeah. And I think what's also seen, I've seen grow is like, there's pretty much something for everybody now on mm-hmm. the app. Like, and I think for, for listeners, you know, we are going to talk fitness today and family and um, business. So there's not gonna be a whole lot of ice climbing talk, although <laughs> everything we're talking about definitely uh, does relate to ice climbing and fitness. So, um, but what I've seen in the app is like, there's just something for everybody. Like I know when I've been traveling, there's the no gear workouts. Um, and then you guys started doing the, the, the daily and mm-hmm. then what is it? it's called the, the MGDs. MGD. Yeah. yeah. And that thing's great because I remember times when, you know, work was just kind of like crushing me and I didn't want it. Sometimes I'd like, just, I just wanted to be able to just show up. And that was so nice because it was like it was short, like thirty six minutes. Mm-hmm. Boom! You couldn't you couldn't pick and choose what you wanted to do. It was like <laughs> it was only one thing available, and then it was going to disappear in twenty four hours or the next day. And I, I thought that was really good for those times where you just didn't have a whole lot of time. But mm-hmm. those workouts were crushing sometimes. <laughs> like, but they were like perfect for somebody that spent a lot of time in the mountains. Yeah, you know, and wanted to feel good in the mountains without you know. There's very little work or very little equipment that you needed. You know, it was like kettlebell or some dumbbells and a step box or something. And but man, like those those were really good workouts for me during the season. Because they weren't crushing enough that I took days to recover from, but yeah. they were like, that was a good, like if 36 minutes was what I would get in a good full day in the mountains, not a hundred percent, but like it was good. So I, that, I really like those. That's good to hear. Cause that's what we're definitely shooting for with the minimal gear dailies was that like extreme level of functional fitness, but in a way that you still were able to be in the mountains the next day where it wasn't a workout that completely crushes your central nervous system, which, you know, those have their place as well, but those cause a negative effect if you're trying to like be active the next couple of days. So the minimal gear daily was, you know, designed to be around 30 minutes. You can do it anywhere with hardly any gear, but we wanted our athletes to be able to do those and then be right back out on the mountain the next day feeling good. And that was kind of the design of that product was also really connected to we were trying to create that experience that you get walking into local training. And so local training, you know, we use a lot more machines and equipment in our lab, but there are some big benefits to local. One of them is you never really know what the workout's going to be. So you can't skip out on it when you walk into someone's gym And so that surprise effect, we also were trying to create a lot of FOMO in the dailies. So the minimal (laughs) gear dailies, they expire every 24 hours. And so once you kind of get hooked on them, you kind of have to get in there and look to see what's going on because that's what happens with local training as well is like, if you're training with a bunch of buddies at a gym and you miss a day, you're like, man, I wonder what everyone did today. And so we are trying to create that same experience through the app. And it's been a really popular product. It's been cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I enjoy it too. I know sometimes when I know I'm traveling, I can't do it. I just like to see what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, I have to remember that one. Yeah, that's really cool. And so with, you know, 
what would you say is like the the training philosophy with with Mountain Tough? Like, you know, because it seems like right now the platform really has you can be an elite fitness level and and still get exactly what you want, but you can also be the person that's like, listen, I want to just be more in shape and be able to go out in the mountains and have a good time or go run around my house with my kids and take them on a hike and feel good. Like what is, do you have like, is mountain tough have like a specific goal that they're going after? Yeah. I think to, to answer that, I'll back up a little bit and I'll go, I'll kind of go all the way back into the founding story. Cause I think that ties it all together. And so mountain tough founded from a couple different components of my life history. And so I am a Montana kid and our family was super into backcountry, Western archery, elk hunting. And my dad came from a family of nine. And so he was a big elk hunter. And then I have seven uncles that were all interested in elk hunting and we spent a lot of time bouncing around the West, uh, Montana and Wyoming, Idaho, Colorado, elk hunting. And we got really into archery specifically when I was like 12, 13, 14. And that was kind of our focus. We, we focused all year on, on being ready for September and I loved it and, and still love it. That's definitely like a big passion of mine is archery elk hunting and being out there when the elk are bugling. And as I transitioned into college, I started doing a lot more weight training. So then I started falling in love with this idea that like you could train specifically in the gym for the mountains and that training could make you a better backcountry mountain hunter. And so that was really exciting for me. And I got definitely pretty addicted to that and was kind of a, a gym rat for a while for a season where I was definitely spending too much time in the gym and not enough in the mountains. And I noticed that like, wow, it really is a balance of like specific training to feel good in the mountains. You can't do too much strength training. You can't do too little. And so I started noticing like all these little nuances around how you actually felt when you got out there. And then when I was in my sophomore year of college, that's when I met my wife. And so we've been married 15 years this year, this August, but she was and still is a, a passionate ultra runner and I, at that time, hated running, and she <laughs> loved running. She was like, she yeah, still... Yeah, you're kind of like me. You're not really built for running. Yeah. We have to kind of force it on ourselves, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll run, but I don't, like, get excited to go run. <laughs> <laughs> where, where she, you know, like, running is is her jam, and it gets her really, like, motivated. She gets the runners high and everything, and so she started kind of convincing me to do all these marathons and ultra marathons. And I fell in love with it right away. I fell in love with the mental side though. And so the, she was out there to run. I got to where I was out there for like those mental limits you have to work through on an ultra run were so fun for me to like learn about, like your whole body is trying to, 
tell you to stop and mentally you have to find a way to keep going. And so we dove super into that. That was our passion for a while. So we were, we were doing like a marathon every single month. We were, um, spending a lot of the summer looking for ultras, mostly in Montana. And I started thinking like, wow, this is perfect. I'm going to run a 50 K in the same mountain range. I'm going to be elk hunting in, in like two months. And I was still doing some of my gym training. And one of the big, the big mountain tough light bulbs went off that season because we, we spent all summer running in the mountains, training in the mountains. And for me, I thought for sure this was going to be physically the best hunting season yet because we're spending so much time running at high elevation. And it actually, that fall was vividly one of the hardest falls for me as a hunter because of the pack out. Uh, And so what happened was like too much cardio and only focusing on cardio led for an awesome hunting season where you can really move through the mountains, but you can't, I wasn't able to move through the mountains as efficient, efficiently under heavy load as I wanted. It was perfect up until the moment that you actually had an animal down. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so you may have seen this too before where now I can see it quite a bit just cause I'm paying attention to it with like friends and family and people that you go into the mountains with. A lot of people are super fit until you put a heavy pack on their back. And so some really, really fit like friends of mine still to this day, they can, they can hang in the mountains all day long until that heavy load comes in. And then you'll see, you'll see them really, slow down and struggle, which was really exciting for me to find that out because that was just another light bulb moment where it was like, wow, someone should really train for this specific exact sport. And this specific exact sport is, you know, high elevation, rugged terrain, multiple days with a lot of occasions where a heavy pack is going to go on your back. And I thought that someone should train to like the degree of specialization that like the military or any other pro sport is going to do that. And no one was doing that at all for the backcountry hunter in 2016. And that's when we founded mountain tough. And the idea was what if you like broke down the skill requirements of the job just like the NFL would do or just like the military would do, and then just start training to those exact skill requirements. And so our, our philosophy is pretty heavily baked in that concept that we can't be good at everything, but we can train to be really good at high elevation, rugged terrain for multiple days under heavy load. And I think it's important for, I know a lot of people might be listening to this, aren't really familiar with hunting. And I think for me, being fit for going out hunting means a couple of things, especially with archery. I mean, archery, you know, for people that don't know, I mean, a long shot, what I would consider a long shot archery is 70 yards. Mm -hmm. I don't, I would never, I'm not good enough at archery to shoot 70 yards, but 70 yards is not very far. Um, But the fitness comes in at that point where, 
you might be spent, you might have been on your feet for six or seven hours. You may have been like jogging to get up another ridge, trying to get closer. And then when it comes to actually, you know, pulling that trigger or pulling back that bow, your cardio, heart rate, everything's got to be low and you've got to be calm. And like if you're out of shape, one, you may not make it there, or two, you can make a bad shot. So it's really, you know, from a hunting perspective, I think it's really responsible for people that want to be fit because one, you're going to take a safer shot. And then two, you're going to be fit enough to actually pack that animal out before stuff goes bad. You're not going to leave waste and things like that. And mm-hmm. Those are the things that are like really important to me um, from growing up hunting and then kind of really taking a step back from it and then coming back to it. And cause those were things for me, like why I stepped away. Cause it was just like the guiding and the people I were guiding weren't hunting for the same reasons I was. Yeah. And so through you and some other people, it was like, all right, I, I, I need to give this another, like, Hunting's changing, mm-hmm. and I think it has evolved a ton to where now people are like, shoot, you know, when I was nineteen and twenty, nobody was talking about like fitness and hunting. That, <laughs> no, that wasn't even a thing, not right? at all. Yeah, and now it is, and I think that's really cool because it just makes that overall experience better. But it's also way more like there's a lo- lot less waste is being left in the mountains, mm-hmm. you know, and your t- people are taking good shots. Because they're fit. And I think, you know, at least for listeners that aren't familiar with hunting at all, that's that's why being fit is really important. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, we all know why fit being fit climbing is important, but being fit for hunting is really key. Yeah. I think that we talk about it in the perspective as a lot of other sports will talk about it this way, too, and it's pretty new for the hunting community, but we talk about it in the concept of race day can be your easiest day. And so we know that we know that the mountains are going to be tough and the mountains are always going to create some sort of suffering. But we also know that with the right training, athletes can thrive in the mountains and the mountains doesn't have to be a soul crusher every time. And so we know that if you do the right amount of training in the right type of programming, that you can be in the mountains thriving. And thriving is what you're talking about, where it creates all these awesome like accessory benefits, like that you feel good on day five and you feel good on day six, and that you have the mental clarity to decide where to go and you have the mental clarity to make a good shot because you're not redlining the whole time. And when when folks are redlining the whole time, that's where you get like the bonk on the mountain, the crash. <laughs> you start to get into a lot of safety issues because they're not thinking clear. And so uh, one of our huge ethos is like do the right training, whether it's our program or someone else's program so that you can thrive in the mountains because you should thrive like you don't especially from like the whole holistic picture for a lot of, I'm sure it's the same with climbers, but for a lot of hunters, like you should be able to go on a big trip and come back and play with your kids the next day and go to work. And there definitely was like a, a thing with hunters for a while where it was like they would go on a trip and they would suffer through it and they still might harvest an elk and pack it out. But then they're, like in bed for four days because they're (laughs) so sore. And so we're trying to break that mentality. And a lot of that came from like our early on military DNA where the, 
like special operations community was pushing the envelope really hard and training really hard, but they, you know, they were going from operation to operation to operation. They didn't, there was no time where they could sit home for four days and be sore and through the right training, like we, we knew that we could do the same thing for a mountain athlete. Huh? That's interesting. And so uh, I, I kind of took things off track a little bit there, but you started figuring that out. And then when did, so when did Mountain Tough kind of become Mountain Tough? Yeah. So the second big part of the founding story that's, that's really interesting is, so we were back to that fall where we did all the running and then realized that the pack out was one of my worst experiences of all time. <laughs> How far was it? <laughs> it was, that trip was it was like five miles um, with a lot of up and down, a lot of vert through canyons to get out of there. But just being alone, I had to go back in there four times. So oh, about a hundred pound packs around each time to get out of there and then going back for the four quarters. But I think it was just the realization that that doing so much cardio – and losing so much strength had impacted my pack out ability so much that created that idea for mountain tough, the specialization idea. And wow. so that, that was in my head. And then what happened from there is I, I went to Montana state and I graduated with a entrepreneurship marketing and management degree. And my first job out of college was a phenomenal on paper job, especially in Bozeman at the time where <clears throat> like for really good corporate America type jobs in Bozeman, <laughs> it was like a, if you're, if that's what someone was interested in, it was kind of like a dream job. So we interviewed uh, Fortune 100 C-level executives to share ideas. And in, so I was really young, fresh out of college, and was able to interview like the COO of UPS, Starbucks, Nike, American Express. And they all wanted to learn from each other because they all were corporate executives and non-competing jobs. So it was a oh. really really, really cool idea and really cool model. And my wife was uh, doing marketing and advertising. And on paper, it looked like the perfect scenario, but we were, we were both so miserable, like <laughs> being stuck in offices all day, which was really, it was really enlightening because actually uh, like kind of the world is telling you to graduate college and get an office job, especially yeah. as a business major. But no one ever really told us that that might be a completely terrible plan because... <laughs> or that there was another option. Yeah. Yeah. So, because we're both super active, outdoorsy people. And so we we were both kind of struggling with that idea of these are really, really good jobs, but we're both really, really miserable in these environments. Like I, I paid for college as a fly fishing guide. And so I was used to being outside every day being active. And so what, what that led to is we both quit our jobs, um, which 
to a lot of friends and family was like, you guys are insane. Wow. Yeah. And no kids at this point? No kids. And so, how old were you? So we were around 25. Okay. And so we both quit our jobs and we, we signed up with a Bozeman guy to go um, work at an orphanage in Uganda, Africa. And so we quit our jobs, sold our stuff, and flew over and started working in Uganda. And it was by far like the most rewarding, awesome experience we ever had. So it was an orphanage with 240 kids. They had a primary school, secondary school. And it was really cool because the whole concept of this campus was to help Uganda kids become future leaders of Uganda by teaching them a lot of like leadership and entrepreneurship skills. And that's what we were there for was to like help them start these micro businesses that then they could have those skills to start businesses themselves someday. So hmm. it was like right up my alley. Cause I love entrepreneurship. I love being outside. I love being active. And most of those micro businesses were all farming oriented. So we had like a pineapple grove. (laughs) Um, We had like a chicken farm. So we thought we were going to do that forever. We built a little guest house over there and it was the like 24 seven adventure every single day. You you didn't know what was going to happen. And then my wife got pregnant with my now oldest daughter. And so we're like, oh, oh no, like <laughs> don't really want to have a baby in Uganda, um, especially where we were at. And so we loved it so much though. We're like, we're, we'll fly home. We'll have our daughter delivered in Bozeman and then we'll fly right back over and go to work. And we were just so naive. We thought that was the perfect plan. <laughs> we, it made sense in our mind at that time, which is really funny because now it's pretty obvious how difficult that would have been. But we flew home and my wife delivered our oldest daughter here in Bozeman. And when my daughter came out as like a real human child, I just, I kind of knew right away it's going to be a while before we could go back to Africa <laughs> and just like the, the safety and like health concerns and the logistics, there was no way that we were going to be able to go back yeah. for a while. And, but it's hilarious because we were so naive that how difficult that was going to be. We didn't have a plan B or anything. So that's really when mountain tough started. Cause we were stuck at home with the baby and we didn't have jobs and we had no plan B, but I had known that like this mountain tough idea was there based on those hunting and running experiences. And so that's kind of when we just went for it and it started really, really bootstrapped. Like it was, um, funny thinking about it now, but I drew the logo on a napkin <laughs> and then it's what still the exact this? same logo. This was 2016. Okay. Same logo as we have today. My buddy designed it on the computer and then we made a flyer and the flyer said 
like I'm looking to train backcountry hunters. And it was one of those old school flyers where you have the phone numbers. Oh, yeah. Like, you, yeah. Pull you, it off. you pull off the number. And it started with three guys that called from that flyer. And I trained them in the park behind our house for a couple months. Wow. So no gym, no equipment. We just trained at the park. We would do lunges across the soccer field and like pull-ups on the kids' monkey bars. And then the park sessions kind of exploded in growth. It was kind of – Mountain Tough has always felt like the market was kind of sitting there waiting for it to exist because I think my gut on that is most mountain athletes know they should be training specifically for the mountain whether they're a hunter or a climber or a mountain biker or a skier, I think most people kind of get that feeling that they should train specifically for that sport, but they don't have a lot of options that are like, here's a specific way to train. So it was the whole time it was, it felt like the market was waiting for us to exist and the park sessions just grew. And then we went into a gym and we were running three mountain tough classes a day and that kind of just exploded. And then it was in 2017 where we're like, we, we got to get this online so mm-hmm. that the whole world can experience it. So it's, it's been a pretty, wow. pretty wild journey. And is that, was that the old place that you're at? Was that the first place? That was our second was place. Second place. Yeah. So we started, we went from the park to an orthopedic clinic and we trained <laughs> out of there and then we went to the old place and we were there for a couple of years before coming here. Wow. And how, when, at what point then did, so you went live on, on you could get the workouts to the website. Yep. And that was what, 17 to 17. 21? Yep. Right then? Okay. Yep. And that obviously, I mean, started as, I mean, it sounded like more of it was just a gym and then you started sharing the stuff online, but then it, what point did it really take off? Because I feel like the last three years, it's just like exploded from my from my perspective. No, I think that that is accurate. I think there's a couple reasons for that. One is when we started, when we went online, we only had one flagship product. And the flagship product for us was preseason prep for the backcountry hunter. And our philosophy, kind of like that analogy of training an NFL athlete, was like if an NFL athlete is getting ready for season, then there's a specific like preseason training they should go through so that they have the best season possible. But in the offseason, they should be training differently because different skill requirements are in the off season and mountain athletes are the same exact way where like a hunter that's going to go on a 10 day Alaska expedition in September, they need to start training in May so that they get a solid 16 weeks of training to be able to thrive on that trip. And we knew that that in our minds, that was the ideal amount all athletes should be training more than that and all the time, but to turn up the dial on specific training, our philosophy was they need 16 weeks for all the like cardio adaptations to take place. And then like the muscle maturity to take place. 
And so for the first two years, like our product was preseason prep. And then what happened is a lot of our first rounds of Mountain Tough customers were starting to call and saying, what should I do in the off season? Mm -hmm. And we knew that hunters that are back in the back country all fall, they lose a ton of weight and a ton of muscle. And so you don't want to throw them into a preseason plan off season. What they, they need to pack on a lot of strength mm. to get ready for the next year. So then we went through a couple of years where we just had two products and it was preseason prep and postseason strength. So we were covering about eight months out of the year for our customers but we were only covering customers that worked out on full gym equipment. So they needed a really good gym to go to or a really, really nice home gym. But everything changed when we kind of, we reevaluated two things. One was not everyone's an elite athlete and we were creating a lot of elite level programming. And then the second thing was not everyone trains on full gear and yeah. So those two changes is really what created that explosion. We said we we would love the chance to make everyone an elite athlete, but we know every human starting at a different level. So you have male, female, younger people, older people, and then different sport backgrounds. So in the last couple of years, it's been a lot about if I was to start someone who's never worked out in their life, how could I get them from where they're at today to an elite level mountain athlete? So now we have a lot of paths for that person to be successful. And then the second thing was like COVID, like 79% of people started training at home on minimal gear. Oh, yeah. And so the minimal gear pathways have really changed the game. And so for the explosion to happen, it was awesome because we still have a ton of elite level training products, but we have a lot more paths to get someone ready for that program. Yeah. It seems like there's something for every skill set right now. Mm -hmm. And then also there's the, the rehab side of that too, um, which is really good to have kind of a, I feel like now it's, there's a complete package, if you will. Yeah. Um, what, like for most of the people that are coming in and, and, first starting with the mountain tough stuff, like what is it like, where do you typically, if somebody's like, Hey, I, I just, I kind of worked out here and there, you know, like a general, we'll call it the most general per general person that's out there as far as exercise goes. Like, where do you usually point them? Yeah. Our, our, th our theory this year, because a lot of these products are really new um, and they've been extremely well received is kind of our philosophy now is that even even like elite level like soccer or sporting stars are always going to revisit the foundations every year as they start a new season. And so now we start almost all of our athletes, regardless if they're beginner, intermediate or elite on a foundations program. And so we built two this year, one for people that want to train with gym equipment, and that's our gym foundation program. And then we built a second one for people that prefer to train at home on minimal gear, and that's minimal gear foundations. 
but it's been pretty cool because it's like the fundamentals should be revisited quite frequently, like annually. And we've learned a lot of that from just sports science. So even a lot of like our elite athletes, if they're coming around for the next year of programming, we'll kind of revisit the foundations and then they'll start going into the more advanced programs from there. And when you guys come up with some of these, uh, I mean, you, you guys have basically a lab here. Yeah. Um, you guys are like somebody, so who's cooking up the ideas and then you're basically then put them into work here. What's the development? Like if you're going to develop a program, somebody's writing it down today between testing it and everything and it actually getting out on the app. Like what does that time frame look like? It depends on time frame depends. So like preseason prep 2.0 will come out this May. Okay. And that program is like three years of research and development. Wow. And then some of the other programs will be faster. The way that we do that is we start every program with problem identification. So for us, our testing kind of theory is we need, we should identify the problem that we need to solve for a mountain athlete. So the problem could be that like postseason strength analogy, like they need to get stronger in the winter and they need more cardio in the summer and spring. And so we always start with problem identification and sometimes that goes down into the skill requirements of the job. Like they're going to need to, they're going to need to do a tremendous amount of vertical gain, but they're also going to need to be prepared for a lot of vertical loss. And so the problem might be that our athletes are really, really strong right now, but all those downhill descents are still killing them. So how can we solve that problem? And then our next step after problem identification is we bring in athletes into the lab. So like I can hear them walking in downstairs now, like our three o'clock testing just showed up in the lab. These athletes are on week 10 of testing a new program, but we have to be really careful with that now. So with athletes coming in to test, now we make sure they're from all different age groups and fitness levels. Because mm. in the early days, just organically, we were bringing in a lot of elite athletes, <laughs> <laughs> which is a ton of fun. But they kind of, they kind of like toss out the control of your experiment. And so now we bring in uh, males, females, and then we bring in 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds. And that way we can see how our programming is working across all those different demographics. Hmm. But it's pretty cool to watch how sophisticated it's gotten over the last year. Like this group is getting uh, VO2 max tested. Oh, wow. We're testing their lactate thresholds. We're drawing blood and they're getting body scans so we can see um, – like if there's more muscle on their right quad versus their left quad, right bicep versus left bicep. And then you can see like bone density and where that muscle is growing and where the fat's going away. So it's gotten pretty advanced compared to wow. four years ago. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. And I mean, well, uh, yeah, there's 
so much more that goes into it than when somebody just opens up the app. And I mean, I've seen that over the years is just coming in here and doing workouts. Like mm-hmm. there's, and it seems like there's more and more people that are here behind the scenes doing this. How, what are the, are you doing most of the programming and kind of talk to me about like, are you writing the programming? Is there somebody else? I mean, I know there's all kinds of things going on. So yeah, talk to me a little bit about the team. Yeah. It's definitely a team that's, that's tackling everything. And so me and Jimmy and Sarah are primarily doing the programming, but we're, we're a super collaborative organization. So Nate is our content director, but he's a huge athlete. He spends a lot of time snowboarding and hunting and he's been with us the whole entire time. And so Sometimes like his programming ideas are the best ideas we've ever seen. (laughs) And so we do, we spend a lot of time as a programming department working on stuff, but once a week we bring in the whole team for review. And so the whole team will look at it and, you know, Nate has his background in like Weston, our new head of business development. He's a, grew up as a rodeo kid, but then he, went deep into ultra marathoning throughout the mountains and, you know, 50 milers and hundred milers. Plus he's a phenomenal backcountry hunter. So his ideas are always very, very exciting to test. And so there's, we're trying to incorporate a lot of different experiences. And part of that is just, we're a really kind of open collaborative organization and everyone is really excited to be involved And so the team has grown a lot. We went from, you know, just a couple people and now we're up to like 11 people in the building. Wow. 11 full-time people? 11 full-timers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's real. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about, uh, I mean, from 2016 to now, that's a big, big change. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. I didn't realize it was that many people. Yeah. We went from the park into a real company. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. And I mean, I, I felt like, so who wrote the workout we did today? The workout we were that happened today, Jimmy wrote. That was a Jimmy one? Yeah. It was like the ice, I felt like it was an ice climbers workout a little bit. Yeah, that yeah. that one, the farmer carry relay. And that's a, a lot of our, a lot of Mountain Tough workouts. We, in 2016, we said that we want to be the best in the world at mental toughness. And so- You'll see some stuff in Mountain Tough that's always a little bit unique that's trying to push someone mentally. Today's a pretty good example where like if if you didn't get those dumbbells back fast enough, like Weston's just gonna keep skiing. And yeah. so like you wanna set them down, but you wanna pick them right back up. Cause yeah. so we're, everything we're doing is trying to make our athletes more mentally tough. And the reason we did that is like we studied all the most successful backcountry hunters and we were looking for hunters that were consistently successful. So not like a couple years, we were looking for who can be consistently successful for 10 and 20, 30 years. And it, it was the same in the military. It was the same in every sport we looked at that those people are the most mentally tough, yeah. not always physical. And so everything we're doing is trying to make people more mentally tough. And a lot of times the physical workouts allow that to happen. But 
some way in every single program that you'll see things like that. Like how can we make this person more mentally tough at home by themselves in their basement? And for us, it's like wellness is, has many legs to the stool. And so that's why you see the app trying to incorporate so much holistic content now is because for someone to truly be successful for decades in the mountains, in their sport, it's physical is really important. Mental is really important, but so is like spiritual, emotional, nutritional. And you can't like a stool, you can't be really wrong strong in one of those areas and then take the rest away. And so it's kind of like how we started the conversation to thrive in life and in the mountains, you got to focus on a lot of different areas. And so we've, we've tried to add a lot of that to the app over the last couple of years. Your thoughts on mental toughness. I mean, I've, do you feel like people are born, some certain people are born with the ability to be more tough than others, or do you think, it's something that happens in your childhood and this is a multifaceted question. And do you think if somebody is 30 years old and really would consider themselves not mentally tough, do you think you can change them through training and other things to make them more, more tough? From all my experiences and in my opinion, you can change someone and make them more mentally tough. Really? And I, I think it, I think mental toughness is really for a lot of areas because it can be defined in so many different ways. But I think from the perspective of mental toughness is your ability to overcome adversity. I've just seen so many examples of how that can be trained and and improved. And for me, it, it seems to ring true when like – Mental toughness is accumulation of hard experiences that make hard experiences not so hard anymore. And so I've I've watched it many times in the lab where someone can come in that you would not define as mentally tough, and then you can run them through enough mentally tough, challenging tests and workouts that you start to see and and hear about them being more mentally tough outside of the gym. And so you'll see that accumulation of hard experiences where they'll be at home with their family and realize like, wow, like this isn't so hard anymore because like working out at mountain tough was way harder than what I'm dealing with right now. Yeah. I think I've seen it enough times that I'm really confident it can be trained. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I think I, I, it's, it feels like right now, like at least I've had a lot of different climbing partners in my career and, you know, people in their twenties are hungry, you know, and they're also more tough in a way. A lot of Mm -hmm. them are. And then they get married, there's kids, there's family, there's that corporate job or the job just, and then it's almost like there's this just, arc that just starts going downhill as soon as all of this stuff, as soon as they start becoming stable in their life, almost, you know, like that stableness makes them softer, if you will. Yeah. Um, and then it, it seems like a real challenge for them to become tough again mm-hmm. and willing to deal with risks and things like that. Like the risk tolerance changes completely. Um, 
and and I, risk tolerance and 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 mental toughness are two very different things. But um, I feel like I don't know. You can make life can be pretty damn comfortable these days. So yeah. why would you? You know, a lot of people just don't want to choose to make their mm-hmm. life a little bit tougher by going to the gym and you know having to break through. You know, carrying eighty pound kettlebell forever. How long that was today? <laughs> you know, like why would I choose that? You know, but I think. It's the reward. It's the reward that comes after that, and that changes, as you were saying, kind of like it, it changes your family life. It changes a whole lot of other things that are going on. Yeah. Um, and I know one thing I have always felt when I've come here, both, you know, the two times I've done workouts here is like the group of people are like super encouraging. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's like wanting to push each other and cheer each other on, and it doesn't matter where, like where their fitness level is, like. I remember the first time I came, there was was a class that you guys had, the noon class, and like yeah. everybody was different skill sets across the board. Yeah, but and I've been in CrossFit gyms and things like that, and you can kind of feel the elite, and then the other people, you know, and it kind of feels like they're separate groups in a way. Mm-hmm. And here you just like everybody's the same, you know, and everybody's psyched that everybody's there. That, that's a pretty cool. I mean, it's a culture. I'm sure that's been created over time, but yeah, you know, I think you see that a lot. Yeah, you don't you don't see that a lot. And I think that that has been very, very cool to watch at Mountain Tough because I think some of that is coming from like our philosophy on like, we don't care if you look fit, we care if you're actually fit or not. And I think the reason that that culture that you're, that you felt today exists is because locally in our in-person training so much of the training is done in teams and you don't get to pick the team and you never know what team you're going to wind up on. And so people that have lived in that environment for even just a couple months realize like I need to be an asset to my team and we're going to get this work done no matter what. And so then you start to see that really like supportive, encouraging nature because we won't have a, a true winner. Everyone kind of knows who wins a workout. Yeah. But if there's a bike left with still 600 cows on it with one team that has to get another 400 cows for them to be done, you'll see the rest of the class come around and help that last team get that bike finished. Cause they just, the mountain tough community just knows like, it doesn't matter if it takes two or three hours, like, that bike has to get done before anyone leaves the gym. Yeah. And so that culture is, is pretty special. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think I've seen that it kind of evolved through the app too, because now there's really something to offer anybody at whatever fitness level they're at. The app pretty much has something for them, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, if you've got the the hunger and the energy to, to get step in the gym or to do a workout, then that's really all that anybody can want to ask for, right? Mm-hmm. An athlete, um, and I think that there there tends to be I don't know less encouragement for those people that don't look like they should be in the role that they're in, whether what type of athlete they are or whatever. And I think there, there's a place for people being more enthusiastic that they're out there and they're trying, they're getting after it because that's just going to build momentum in that person. Um, oh yeah, I, I can think of this guy Stephen who I met. Uh, is an ice climber. He's a he's a big dude. And I've said, if I Stephen walked in the room and I like, yeah, this guy ice climbs 40, 50 days a year, you'd be like, there's no way that guy ice climbs. Like he's yeah. a big guy. Yeah. And but you can see like he is so driven, <laughs> you know, yeah. and like 
he gets after it, then I would say probably 85% of ice climbers. And he's constantly out getting after it. And he knows he's a bigger guy and it's harder for him. Yeah. But he doesn't care. He's hungry and he's motivated and his mental toughness is there. You know, it's so cool to watch. I've seen him kind of evolve in the last year. And it's like, you know, you, you meet this guy, you'd be like, oh, he's not very fit, but the guy's freaking scaling ice climbs. Like, you know, most people aren't even getting up. It's really cool. Oh, I love so, that. Yeah. I love that so, so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, so, like, what would be your prescription of if we're talking ice climber now so right now is the start of the off season mm-hmm. and if i'm an ice climber i'm like man i really want to get into next year and i want to i want to up my game i want it to be one of my best years what would your prescription be for them on the app like where do they start we're talking like pretty general fitness type person maybe they don't even they barely spend any time in the gym like where would you start them off yeah so I think first we would decide if they're going to train with minimal gear or if they're going to train with equipment. And so that will create two different paths in the app. But then from there, we would essentially reverse the season of a hunter. So, cause hunters are about getting ready for their season yep. and ice climbers are in the off season. And so we would, love to see ice climbers start with gym foundation if they're going to if they're going to train with gym equipment and then if they're going to train with minimal gear they would start with minimal gear foundation most people are like you and I though for sure and we are fully aware of that where like some days I have access to gym equipment and some days I don't and training all the time is better than waiting for gym equipment. And so most of the world now is using the app, almost like a recipe and a menu inside of a framework of, they know they want to get certain programs done in the year. Yeah. But I just say that to encourage that we have a lot of people that do minimal gear some days in gym workouts other days, which is totally awesome and fine. But the ice climbing community right around this time of year should start focused, focusing on postseason strength training. So like the postseason strength program for the backcountry hunter would be perfect. And then they would start looking at trans transitioning into spring training, but not in the spring because that spring training is written for a hunter but the philosophies are all the same. And then for, for the minimal gear audience, starting with minimal gear foundation is ideal. And then most of our athletes are going into kettlebell 20. And then an ice climber would want to transition to heavy pack 20, which is four weeks of pack training as they get really close to ice climbing season. And then the MGDs are a great option too. Once someone's done with minimal gear foundation, MGDs are minimal gear training every single day, but they're always focused on mountain athletes. Mm. And so that would be a really great option as well. I think it's important too, for people to know, like that aren't, don't know hunting. I mean, when hunting happens, you're typically, I would say what, 
most hunters are maybe covering five, ten miles a day, you know, and, yeah, and five with to a ten. Yeah, and have a pack that's probably without weighted is gonna be probably around thirty pounds, twenty five pounds, something like that. Yeah. So like the the comparison between a hunter and, and somebody that is an alpine climber or ice climber, especially in the South Fork, I know not some ice climbing places you walk ten minutes, but the South Fork is two thousand foot approach climb some easy stuff and then get to something hard. Like you got to be fit. Yeah. And I think too, too many people get focused on just training on their tools and how long can I hold on? Mm-hmm. Whereas like now, if you went into that, like today's workout, like I could hold on to the kettlebells. That wasn't my problem. Yeah. My problem was the cardio that was catch up, to, would catch up to me. And I just couldn't, I couldn't, just couldn't walk breathe. any longer. Yeah. I couldn't breathe, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I think that was such a great thing. Cause it's like, if you can't get to the climb and feel 100% when you get to the base of that climb, then who cares what, how long you can hold on to your tools because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And today was a, a really good example of that. Like I could hold on to the kettlebells, but my cardio would not continue anymore. Um, but I, don't, I think a lot of people don't know, like the backcountry hunter, back hunter is really no different than the backcountry climber and alpine climber or mountaineer. Like it's, so it's all about moving through the mountains efficiently, confidently, and not feeling like you're, you know, in zone three and four the entire day, Yeah, you know, um, and then be able to pick up and do it again the next day and yeah. then the next day and the next day. Um, and I think that there's just a lot of people don't really think of how those two tie together because I mean, week of hunting, you can cover 50 miles. Like that's, yeah. Pro- not a big deal. Yeah. You know, and it's movement pretty consistently through the day, which is the exact same thing that a hundred that a that a climber is doing. You know, I think a lot of people think like, oh yeah, the guy hikes in two or three miles and then sits underneath a tree all day long. Well, not really. I mean, there's some instances where that happens, but most hunters are getting up at three AM, hiking yeah. five miles to get where they want to go, then they might sit there and then they're gonna continue another five, ten miles, who knows? But yeah, that's um, helpful to define for sure. Cause yeah. I think it's important for people to know we're talking about like training a serious, dedicated mountain hunter, which is very, very almost identical to a, a climber or a mountaineer. Yeah. And a lot of them are are in the same country doing almost the same thing. Yeah. And we see the exact same thing in the hunting community where they'll, they'll spend a lot of money on their gear or their bow <laughs> or their rifle. I want to get, I got to cut a pound off of my backpack. I'm going to yeah. get this lighter pack back. Yeah. And so much of it, so much of it is just like, do you have the capacity to spend that much time safely in the mountains and like just building that capacity and that endurance and that stamina and that mental side is, is like 90% of it. And then for like a hunter, the, the gear doesn't matter if you can't get in and in and out of that country safely. Yeah. And so that's, I think that's really important for people to know it's for mountain tough. It, it's about, we have the always ready mentality. So like that was, our ethos back in 16 and 17 is we want our athletes to be always ready for anything. And so for us, that means like if my wife asked me to run a half marathon this weekend, I don't have to ramp up and train for that. It's like, yeah, I can be there. Or if a buddy calls like in September at two in the morning and is like, Hey, I got 
a big bull elk down. Can you come and help? It's like, yeah, I'll be there. I don't have to train for that, even though it's still going to hurt, but, and I can still ramp up my training for really specific instances, but it's like, you can get that training level to where it's always at 80%. And then for really specific missions or expeditions or trips, you can ramp it up for that final 20%, but starting from the bottom and then going up and down and up and down is so ineffective and dangerous, especially as athletes get older, where you can see a 20 year old go somewhere out of shape and be fine. But watching that roller coaster when athletes get in their thirties and forties, that's where you see a lot of what you were talking about, where people get comfortable and just quit. And then all these negative ramifications start showing up in their life because they're comfortable and they quit and they quit taking risks and they quit showing their kids how to take risks and, and taking their kids into the backcountry. Like it creates this huge negative cycle. And yeah. I think just always being ready is such a more positive outcome because you can, you can help your friends and help your family and you can ramp up your training for specific cool things you want to do. And you don't go through these roller coasters of injury and an injury can really just kind of knock someone off if they're not um, healthy to begin with. Yeah. Especially as you get older, like, mm-hmm. you know, the, that hill to climb becomes bigger and bigger. The older you get, the less fit you are. You, if you do become less fit, it's, it's hard to get back. Like, I mean, Age, age does matter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you know like what the average age of the people that are on the app, do you know what that is? Yeah. I think the, the demographic is average age is 44. Really? Yeah. That's impressive then. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, you know, different people I've talked to with fitness, the age seems to be getting climbing harder and harder. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or higher and higher, which is interesting to me that maybe more people are turning 35, 40 and going, man, I'm not in shape and I need to get in shape. Or is it is it that they're at an age where they maybe they need more dedicated workouts? I'm not really sure what it is. But, I mean, I think, you know, I've always looked at, like, every age group, whether it's 20, 30, 40, you know, it gets that much harder to stay fit and actually get stronger. Mm-hmm. But for the most part endurance can continue yeah endurance can be created at any age you know um but we all know like as soon as you stop moving you start dying yeah Yeah. (laughs) um and i think that's sad and maybe the age thing is like people have kids in their 30s and they quit and now they're like i need to get i want to be able to do stuff with my kids and so maybe that's where the age thing comes i don't know it's it's super interesting interesting. yeah i'd like to understand more of the science behind that but um age does matter i think some of what's going on, it seems like, is like the the fit in the fitter population in America is getting more and more and more fit, and the unfit is getting more and more unfit in terms of like um, obesity rising in childhood obesity rising, but on the side of the population that is very interested in fitness, the like human performance, science and information and products and um, like supplements has 
as advanced so far yeah. that like like longevity is talked about a lot now. Longevity is on people's minds. People are focused on their sleep and their diet and their recovery. And so, you know, you hear the saying of like, like 40 is the 30 is the new 40, 40 is the new 30 <laughs> or 50 is the new 40. It's like, that is kind of true in a way because human performance never stops evolving yeah. where it's almost like we've just barely scratched the surface of what humans are actually capable of as a society. Yeah. That's interesting. I think, yeah, if you look at a 50 year old today and a 50 year old 25 years ago, they probably look very different Mm -hmm. from a fitness standpoint. Yeah. Like muscle mass, fitness. You see it in pro sports. Like that's where it's really clear. Like the athletes compared today to 10 years ago, they're like, complete monsters. Yeah. It's crazy. What do you think is driven like hunting 20 years ago and fitness? Those two words did not go together. Those were not the, nobody. I don't even think anybody in the hunting world 20 years ago was even talking about fitness or even thinking about fitness. And now, and maybe it's just because, you know, I'm, I'm more focused on it too, but it just seems like the last five years, six, seven years, like fitness and hunting have become like hand in hand. What do you think is, what do you think is driving that? Like the, the hunting, the hunters these days are more fit than they've ever been. It seems like, and it seems like if you're a hunter and you're not talking about being fit or training for your hunting and things like that, like you're kind of becoming <laughs> a unique group of your own now that's becoming smaller and smaller. Yeah. I think that I do give like Cameron Haynes a lot of credit for sparking this movement and so Cam Haynes, I don't know what year it was, but it had to be in the early 2000s, I would guess. I could be way off on that. But he was the first that I know of that started this conversation of, like, you should train really hard to go on these really awesome, crazy backcountry experiences by yourself. And because you're so physically fit, you can get back to where no one is, you're not going to see anyone. And he was the first mainstream kind of individual that started talking that way or preaching that way. And I think that if you look at what he did then and what's happening now, I think it's really, really positive because it's a lot of that comfort crisis stuff that Michael Easter writes about that like life has gotten so comfortable in America in 2023 that people need to manufacture adversity to live an abundant life. So we have to make a few things hard to live abundantly and be happy and fulfilled. And in backcountry hunting, especially like deep into the Western United States, like remote wild places by yourself or just with a few buddies, it really scratches that comfort crisis Hmm. itch because it's really hard, but you're outdoors and you're getting the vitamin D and you're with a friend or two and there's a really high chance you're going to fail. Like failure is a huge part of it. (laughs) Yeah. And then you're going to have to learn from that. And so... I think like 10 or 20 years ago, 
when Cam started talking about that, created this generation of people that were like, I should try that someday. I need to try that. And then it just kind of like snowballed from there. And it's definitely obviously a huge, huge factor now. Like hunting in America is down where... Really? But Western backcountry hunting is through the roof up. Oh, yeah. Okay. So like, like the Iowa farm kid isn't hunting deer as much in his backyard anymore. But like all the Western states, like it's very difficult to get a tag, like compared to five years ago. Yeah. The numbers are through the roof. And I think, I think it's, it's doing a good job of like challenging people and putting them in scary environments that are difficult. And that challenge is changing their life and they're telling their friends about it. And climbing is the same way in any wild adventure outside does the same thing. It does not have to be hunting, but the thing that makes it so special is it's really hard and you got to figure some things out and you got to problem solve and you got to train for it. And half of the benefit is like those training months getting ready for that event. Like that's when everyone starts noticing their life is way different than it used to be. Yeah. And I think one thing that people don't think a lot about in the hunting too is that I, most people I know that are hunting, they're they're going after. They want that adventure piece. They just want to be out in the woods. Like, mm-hmm. sure, yeah, you if you're able to harvest an animal, that's great. But the percentage and the chance, uh, the likelihood that you will do that is very low. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all out for the same reason I think climbers are, which is to to be out in the woods and and on an adventure. And you know, some days you climb, some days you don't. Some days you you definitely very few days you actually harvest something but yeah. you're out there and you're about and i think also the the thing that a lot of people think i don't think they understand is like the connection to that to your food source is so huge and like i know for sure like the deer that's in my freezer i look at that differently than i look at the beef maybe that i bought at the store like if there's a little piece of my steak left for my deer i'm finishing it oh yeah like it's got i'm not going to leave it to waste but that steak that's sitting there, like, yeah, if there's a quarter of it left, then whatever, you know, I'll give it to the dog or whatever, you know. But, like, you're, the connection is so different that I don't think – I think a lot of people don't understand. Like, I just – like, if if it's harvested by me, there's no waste. Like, I yeah. want to consume every bit of it, and the connection that I have is huge. Yeah. Um, and I just don't – I think people that aren't in the hunting industry or never hunted, they don't – they can't like, – they can't understand that, you know, mm. uh, just like – some people that are probably listening are like, wow, I had no idea that so much effort went into a day out to go hunting, you know, or obviously getting an elk out is, is a, or deer, any of that is, it's a real freaking challenge, <laughs> yeah. you know, carrying out a hundred pound quarter, you know, a hundred pound pack with a, you know, and you're going to do four of those like you did. I mean, that's over five miles. That's legit. It's a big project. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and if you're not fit enough to do that, then it's, it looks a whole lot differently when you're calling in your buddies or you're not able to, you know, take everything that you want. I mean, that's a big deal. So, yeah. Wow. And yeah. I think the the food piece too with hunting is really cool to share with your family when, when people have young kids or kids at home, just because it ties that whole connection together so well to like youth where food actually comes from. Yeah. And like for us, just like we'll – if we're successful and we get a deer or an elk, it's like bringing it home and 
like my daughters help process the whole thing. Like they help me cut all the steaks, make all the burger. They know exactly like the work they put in and then they know exactly what they're eating, where it came from. And they take so much pride in that. Like they absolutely love it. Like, like processing wild game with my kids is like one of the coolest things ever because for them, they're young enough where, and they've always seen it for them. It's like, they don't have any of the negative conceptions of like, this is gross or like, I shouldn't touch bloody meat. Like they just like dig in right away and help me in it. You can tell like that connection is so powerful. Like that they take a lot of pride in like, like that's food for our family for the year. And they put in all the work to make that happen is pretty special. Yeah. And I think like that it's also like, I mean, I think some people think that hunters are like, like we're almost enjoy like, uh, and it's probably not the right words here, but like enjoy killing something. And it's like, it's absolutely opposite. Like mm-hmm. for me, I mean, I've been tears, you know, after getting a, an elk or a deer. Like, I mean, it feels something to take that, take that life. And I think that's not something that I think the outside person really understands. Like, but I also want to know where my food comes from. Mm-hmm. And, and literally it's coming, you know, I, I'm harvesting that animal and processing the entire thing myself. And yeah, it doesn't like, it, it's sad. Like, I mean, I, 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 I feel that I've taken that life. And I think a lot of people don't really quite understand that that's, it's not just about going out and shooting stuff. It's so much more than that. And the connection to your food and yeah. where it's come from and like, the feelings that come with that. I mean, I know the hunting industry, I think is starting to kind of share more of that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and people like Cam Haynes and even like Joe Rogan. I mean, I think you hear those guys talk about the connection to your food and the connection to even the animal. Like, you know, yeah. it's not like you just pull the trigger and don't think anything else after that or, you know, so. It's um, really powerful. Yeah. It's good. It's good to like see that, that, that story is being told a lot better now. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously fitness is becoming a huge part of that, which is so important as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. I think it's I think it's really good I think for the nation right now. I think the nation training and getting more interested in training to get outdoors, like I only see positives from that. Even though like no outdoorsman or no climber typically wants their spot more crowded which is always a big thing in hunting. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're sitting here in Bozeman, which yeah. is blown up, right? Yeah. I think the benefits of people training and getting outside, regardless of the adventure they're going to go on is a, is a positive. Yeah. All right. I got two questions left for you. How have you, you've got a wife and two kids. Yeah. How have you balanced all of this with also, you know, having a family and kids man it it, it has definitely not been easy <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure all entrepreneurs small business owners face a really similar challenge to what i face and that is like mountain tough has been so much of like a baby to me it's been like so important I, th- I can easily think about mountain tough ideas and problems and challenges 24 seven. Like it's really hard for me to not think about 
the business. And so it, it definitely has not been easy at all. I think the things that have, the things that have helped that I could put my finger on for sure is my wife has been pretty integral in starting Mountain Tough, pretty involved behind the scenes, pretty involved in like helping all the time at home, nights, weekends. I think without that, it would have been a lot harder. Yeah. I think then it would have been more of a conflict, but I think she's been just as passionate about Mountain Tough as I have been which has created a lot of like positive energy to to work on things longer and later than we probably would have. <laughs> did she believe in the idea from the start? She did, yeah. Oh, that yeah. helps. Yeah, I think that that is a game changer. Without that, I think it would have been really, really difficult. It would have been a lot more contentious, I think. Hmm. Um, but I think her, her like adventurous spirit and fitness interest has made it to where like she's always been super involved and super interested, which has been helpful. And we actually, three years ago, we, we decided to homeschool our girls, which has helped a lot in terms of they are able to get a lot of amazing school done every morning with her at the house. And because at times homeschool can be a lot more effective because you don't have the downtime and somewhat wasted time between like classes at a normal school. They can, they can get school done at a really like advanced level in about half the time that they would have going to school and then they're able to come in here and hang out and be around and be involved. And so it's very like family friendly and everyone on the team knows that, that like kids are welcome. Kids should be around and kids learn a lot here of, of <laughs> around just like watching their parents work out. And I think that culture has definitely changed the game because then it's, not so much about like, Hey, I'm going to be at work until six and I'm not going to be home till seven or eight. It's more like, I just know I'm going to see them every day around three and they're going to kind of see what's going on. And that culture has definitely changed a lot of things. Yeah. I think most parents probably don't want their kids to see them, uh, struggle and struggle really in any way, but to see, well, to see your parents in the gym and like working through a workout and, you know that that is that would be a pretty powerful message for a kid to see at that at, at a young age. Yeah, that most probably don't see. Yeah, I think it's very impactful from everything I've seen because I can see it in like Weston's kids, my kids, and other folks around here's children, where their perception, I believe, is that already at this really young age training every day is normal part of life because they've seen it for so long. So like my youngest daughter is eight and we're going into year seven of mountain tough. So she's seen a lot of hard oh, yeah. training and like her reality is like you train really hard every day as a human. And so 
I think who knows where that'll go. But even right now you can see like her mentality is like there's something, some physical fitness in her life should happen every day. And so like she does training and she does some MGDs and (laughs) she's super into gymnastics. But I think it, I think that could be easier for her than her being introduced to fitness for her first time at college. I think it's already kind of in her blood, which I think will help. Yeah. I know. uh, Yeah. I think it's something that youth these days is everything's all about comfortness and making you comfortable and, Mm -hmm. um, which has a lot of effects on people's lives and other different things that are going on. And I, I know for my daughter, I mean, she's probably been around the same thing. She's seen the struggles, she's seen the highs and lows, and but sees a cons- sees a consistent work that goes into it, you know. Yeah. Um, and I can remember on a climb we did where she she kind of I think her stomach kind of gets turned when she knows we're doing big things. And I remember one time climbing a peak, and you know, it was three a.m. and she's like, "I'm not really feeling very good," and she puked. And um, I was like, "Well, that's you know, that's that's the end of this day. It was summit day." and and I was like, you know, well, we'll, we'll head start heading back. She goes, no, 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 no. I, I, I'll, I, now that I've done it, I think I'll just feel better. Like, let's just keep moving. And I'm like, you sure? I'm like, you just dumped out every bit of calories you had for the day. She's like, no, no, I, let's just keep moving. And, and, you know, next thing you know, she's, you know, one step forward. And next thing we knew we were on the summit. Oh, man. You know? And she's done that a couple of times where she just, like, dug through it, you know, whereas I was like in, like, most – most kids these days are, you know, if you're not feeling good and you puke, you're, you're, that's it. They're not, they're not going to finish it out, you know. And that's awesome. She's had that mental toughness to, to just dig down and be like, all right, this is this moment. But when I stand on top, like that'll be a really cool moment. So yeah, it's cool to see that transformation. As you know, and I'm sure you'll see the same thing as your kids get older. <laughs> yeah. So cause I think she first did it when she was 12 years old up on a on a big alpine on an alpine face, and she's like, I'm not really feeling good. She puked, and she's like, I'm like, all right, well, we're going to – and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, we're going down. <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 I think I feel better now. Let's just keep going. I'm like, okay, sure. That's awesome. That's <laughs> so, cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so last question then. You um, – well, first, actually, what – I like to ask people this on my podcast. Like what – what's the best relationship advice you could give to somebody? You've been through a lot, started your own business, entrepreneur. There's a lot going on there family, kids, like what's my favorite that I've seen work the best in my life experience is trying to outserve the other. So like in a marriage, it's like, for me, the thing that's helped the most is like, without it really being spoken, I'm trying to outserve my wife and she's trying to outserve me. Hmm. And so it works the same like with our our colleagues on the Mountain Tough team. Like the the team is so strong right now and it's cuz everyone's kind of all in on this big mission. But it's like like how can I how can I pick up a few pieces here and there from this coworker that I know he needs help with or she needs help with? And, but then they do the same for you because you're kind of like competing on outserving each other. Yeah. And that one has been a game changer for me for sure. Huh. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, last one. You went ice climbing recently. 
Yeah. <laughs> now, it wasn't the first time you've got ice climbing. That was my first time. It was your first time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Talk to me about that. How was that? <laughs> I heard you guys got pumped out really fast. My arms got pumped so fast, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was, I was, that amazes me. I though. know. I was kind of frustrated. <laughs> I was like, all these farmer carry workouts. But I think it's because I was, we were all so nervous oh, up yeah. there. Yeah. Over gripping. We were all so nervous. But it was awesome. Yeah, it was super awesome. Just like being out there and then the like the ice, the scenery is like spectacular. Just the way that it like comes through that canyon is so cool. Yeah. Um but I I was pretty shocked. I was definitely incredibly humbled. I think like for me, like trusting my crampon on my toe that it was actually gonna hold my foot. Yeah. Like knowing where that trust level was made me so tense in my arms where I was like, my foot's going to slip at any second that my arms pumped out so fast. (laughs) I could not believe it. Everyone like got done and was just shaking their arms out. And I'm sure that was like a pretty small ice route for beginners, but man, it was cool. It was awesome. I mean, it's, it is, it's short, but it is steep. Yeah. Uh, so it definitely uh, it's engaging right from the very very start. Yeah. 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 It was awesome. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good to hear that uh, yeah. you know there you can pump out. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think Wes said he had the same thing. He was like, oh. I can't believe how quickly I pumped out. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's a different kind of pump. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like like it's everyone was like because we had a pretty big crew that day. And every single guy was like, I cannot believe how bad my arms are. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't go very long. Like, we were not out there very long. Oh, my God. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, Dustin, thanks for uh, jumping on the podcast here. Appreciate the time with you. And uh, for those out there listening, definitely check out Mountain Tough. Uh, Mountain Tough on the App Store. It's Mountain Tough on uh, Instagram. Uh, Facebook, I assume, as well, and all, yep. pretty much all of the social media platforms. I'm sure you guys are across all of those. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Just Mount Tough, Mount Tough Fitness on all those, and you'll find us. Sweet. Well, thanks for your time, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Appreciate you. All Thank right. you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>